everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today, we will continue our ongoing conversation on fixed income as we will be highlighting the latest fixed income strategist publication from the UBS Chief Investment Office, that title, Looking Through the Volatility. Joining me here for the conversation today, glad to welcome back the lead author of the publication, Leslie Falconio, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Leslie, thank you for dropping by. Uh, Welcome back. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, uh, Leslie, a good starting point may be beginning by acknowledging the volatility in rates we have witnessed as of late, namely post that November FOMC meeting when we witnessed that sharp pullback in Treasury yields. What would you say, Leslie, are the implications here, this rate volatility for fixed income return? And where do you see rates headed from here? Dan, you're absolutely right. I mean, the volatility that we've seen in interest rates throughout the year has been, you know, incredibly high and one that was actually not anticipated, regardless of whether or not you had a, you know, hard landing or soft landing view going into 2023. You know, obviously, we've seen the consumer much stronger than what's expected. We've seen demand much stronger. And as we see on every non-farm payable print, pretty much except, except as of late, most of these economic forecasts have been well below um, the actual print. So there's been an incredible amount of interest rate volatility in 2023. Now, there are sectors within fixed income, mostly the higher quality sectors, that, that have a higher correlation to this kind of volatility, right? So when you think about things like municipals or agency MBS, those sectors, when you have high interest rate volatility, and what, what I mean by that, and Dan, you pointed this out too, from, you know, we, we rallied 50 basis points in five days after the Fed. I mean, on the 10-year Treasury, that is a tremendous amount of volatility. We went from 371 or 372 in mid-July all the way up to 501 10-year yield by the end of October. That's a lot of volatility. And we're seeing this actually across the curve, whether it's a two-year or a 10-year. It's just been incredibly volatile as there's been a, you know, a little bit of dislocation in points of view. Uh, we know that the, the market was pressing in much more of a dovish Fed initially than the Fed was actually dictating through their um, economic projections and, frankly, verbally. And finally, the market adjusted to this higher for longer. And those asset classes, such as Muties and Agency MBS, that have a very, what we call a high correlation to volatility, face some headwinds in terms of performance. And even those sort of below-quality sectors that have done better than this year, such as preferreds, they also have are very correlated to interest rate volatility, right? So when we think about how we play into next year, um, you know, the outlook is is that, listen, they have a meeting on December 13th. The Fed, you know, whether they go 25 or not is still up in the air, right? The market's saying is they won't hike another 25 basis points. But more than likely, this higher for longer will sort of hold for quite some time in 24, and volatility should start to come down. We'll have, you know, hopefully we'll have less of a wait and see kind of direction from the Fed, which should make everything data dependent and without true clarity. Um, hopefully as time passes, you know, this clarity, you know, becomes a little more prominent and we have volatility kind of subside into 24. So, Leslie, on the point of performance, given the time of year, often we reflect on the year that was as we're now approaching year end. What are your reflections on 2023 performance of fixed income? Well, I mean, listen, everyone, the big headline that we've seen is, oh, you know, high quality fixed income potentially could have 
a negative total return in 2023. That would be the third consecutive negative total return, and we've never seen this in history. Well, two things. Right now, it'll have a positive total return where we sit right now, but we don't know what's going to happen by the end of the year. But obviously, you know, at a 4.5% tenure yield, it's 51 basis points lower than the year-to-date high of 501 that we saw in October. But I think what really what's important to remember is that when, when people say this is, you know, three years consecutive, it's never happened, you have to kind of take a look back and look at the starting level of interest rates. And during that COVID time period, the 10-year Treasury yield had gone to 50 basis points. So this, that historic low, you know, obviously was not going to be maintained. And, and the market has, has what we call normalized, you know, back up to these levels. Now, granted, you know, the, the strength of the economy, when we, even when we look at third quarter GDP, has been much greater than what most expected. Um, we do have a deficit that's leading to some supply that's a secondary in my opinion, driver in terms of why yields have risen. It's mostly about the consumer and the fact that although we have some very favorable CPI and PPI numbers recently, it has to be more about one month, right? So having that, seeing that, you know, inflation is sustainably, you know, moving lower, the change is going lower, and seeing that, you know, the the tightness of the labor market is starting to widen a bit, um, you know, we'll sort of have interest rates either range-bound or, in our opinion, trend lower in 2024. But a lot of this kind of uh, 2023 performance was really just based on the fact that we've had this strengthening in the economy. Now, one of the great things about this, even with the interest rates now at 450, we started the year at about a 388. You know, one of the reasons why some of these are positive returns is because you have income now. You have the ability to generate income to have compounding income. And as fixed income investors, over the longer term, the driver of total return is income. And so we see these kinds of levels as a really a strong positive contributor to total return as we head into 24 and 25. Just expanding on the outlook a bit for the near to medium term as we're heading into the first quarter of 2024. What is your near to medium term outlook for fixed income return, Leslie? Well, I mean, you know, everyone has been waiting for the Fed to give the, okay, we're pausing signal, right? Even though most strategists have said July was the last rate hike, the market has reacted as it has historically, where you see tender yields move 100 to 110 basis points lower still say like six months after the pause because the market's not yet convinced the Fed is actually done because the, because the Fed is not giving them the the um, complete you know inclination that they're finished right they have to sort of keep that window open that they can go again because they don't want the ten year yield to fall too much they don't want to the equity market to go up too much because what that does is that it loosens financial conditions and a lot of the restrictiveness quote unquote that they're trying to achieve to temper that consumer demand will be erased. So, you know, when we think about what, what you know, this December meeting, and we're going to have some more, um, a new sort of dot plot, if you will, the 2023 dot is going to go away, right? We're not going to worry about 2023 anymore. And we're going to look sort of going forward in 24. You know, we kind of believe that, you know, we're in line with what the Fed is thinking, that probably they'll start to ease around that, say, the third quarter maybe ease twice, possibly three times at the end of 2024, but you're going to have this higher for longer for a period of time. But what that higher for longer really will mean, it doesn't mean that interest rates are going to shoot up. They're probably going to be range-bound in the short term. You know, I would say range-bound anywhere from, say, you know, you know, four and a quarter to 
475 for the very short term. But then, you know, the, after the first quarter, end of the first quarter, we do start to think that you are going to start coming down and you'll end the year of 24 at 3.5%, particularly as the Fed starts to move. Because remember, fixed income is forward-looking, right? So once the Fed gives the all-clear sign that, okay, you know, we're pausing here, the market will price in easy, even before it occurs. So yields will start to come down. And then when you put on top of that, that, that more than likely, we are going to see slowing growth, not a hard landing, but the change in GDP, the year-over-year changes in GDP, particularly when you look at what the third quarter was just at, at 23, the third quarter of 2024 is not going to be as strong. So you're going to have these changes that are coming down lower and lower. So that, I think, will also help interest rates rally into 2024. Again, we're not looking for something that is – in the two-handle, we think probably about a 3.5% as growth slows. And if you put that price appreciation from yields coming down on top of the income that you're earning, then you looking at then you have the potential of looking at double-digit returns for fixed income, particularly higher-quality sectors. With that outlook in mind, I do want to take a few moments to talk about positioning. So looking at the asset allocation table within the FIS, I see you moved high yield to most preferred. So uh, talk to us a bit about that allocation shift as well as where else you're finding opportunity within the asset class at this time. Yeah, Dan, and that's a really important point because, you know, we moved high yield to most preferred but simultaneously moved senior loans to least preferred. So it's really important to differentiate our allocation here when it comes to this, what we call higher credit embedded assets. So high yield is not versus a high, we're not adding credit risk here. We're taking one credit, senior loans, moving it to least preferred, another credit, high yield, moving it to most preferred. And what we're doing between those two is saying, okay, senior loans has been one of the best performing asset classes this year. It's a floating rate asset. It was used, quote-unquote, as a hedge as interest rates rose. But now that we're at the end of the cycle, that hedge, if you will, is not going to be as prominent or in high demand because we think yields will come down in 2024. So that's part of it. The second part of it is that senior loans, although it's been a very good asset, that yield that you're earning in loans is floating rate. As the, as the Fed pauses – that carry, if you will, will come down, right? Because the Fed will start to ease and that short end starts to move lower and the carry that you earn in loans will be less. Given that high yield is a fixed rate, given that high yield um, has much better credit quality right now, we like that sector versus loans. So that's really how we've played it. We put that on in, you know, uh, I think around October 20th. It's done incredibly well since we've put it on. And we think it's going to continue to do well into 2024 as yields come down. The other sectors that we have, we actually have a lot of positioning on here, and, and, and it's a combination of the relative value that we see from the higher quality facing those headwinds from interest rate volatility, facing those headwinds from you know yields moving that 501. And the second is just part of them is just spreads might, might not tight that much, but you're earning really great carry, and you have higher quality. So we have, we're long things like investing great corporates. We like the tips market because real yields have gotten a 17-year high, and we believe the market is pricing in inflation to decline more than we really feel uh, will be witnessed over the next uh, six months to a year. So we like real yields. We like tips in the five-year area. We like agency MBS, who is by far one of our favorite sectors. The, the underperformance that we've seen in agency MBS this year has been technical, not fundamental. We think those technical headwinds are now behind us, and the sector is, is very cheap, and it's a high-quality, 
liquid and, you know, a AAA, AA kind of asset. We also like the preferred sector, again, because as the yield curve starts to steepen, financials have done poorly this year in the investment-grade corporate side. So we think as the yield curve starts to steepen, um, banks sort of come back a bit, and we like the higher quality within the preferred sector, those, those higher quality named banks, and not to mention the fact you're earning tremendous carry in that sector. So we do have a lot of positioning going into 2024, and that we do believe, particularly given the carry that you're earning, you, you have the ability to see some double-digit total return. Leslie, productive session as always. Thank you for the timely insights into the rate moves we've been witnessing, reflecting on the year that was, providing an outlook for the first quarter into 2024, and of course, the guidance there to end on positioning. So thank you again for your time time as always, Leslie. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.